Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Dutcher, pinch hitting for Nathan Bell tonight, and pinch hitting for Greg Dutcher. Steve Hartlett. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm Nathan because you're usually here. Yeah, that's right. I've got that's his right. chair. Well, usually, sort of. Yeah, I'm, I'm in chair number two. Tonight. I know, dude. It's like you're this the is amazing. You uh, now the pay raise that comes with that, Steve. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> I would say everything you've received in the last year, just 20% increase. Just, you know, Let's see, zero plus 20%. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'll make it 50% increase. I'm <laughs> 100%. Uh, no, no, Nathan is uh, not with us. We're actually going to have two episodes that release uh, this night. If you're getting them on the Tuesday, they come out. Um, uh, we're going to have our 98th episode, the one we're about to do, Steve, and uh, our 99th episode, which is going to be a little more personal, interesting. Uh, that'll come up next. And then next week, our 100th live episode. Yeah. Crazy. 100. Can you believe that? 100. How long has it been? When did you start doing these podcasts? Dude, we started February of 2015, so it'll be... Um, a little over a year. Yeah, a little yeah. over a year, not even quite a year and, and a half. 100 podcasts. And we've hit 100. We didn't expect to do that, but we just had those weeks where you do two or three in a week for whatever reason, scheduling, and guests. If I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm part of the 100th, is that correct? You are, dude. Are we going to do like a big celebration? We're going to have champagne in here that we're gonna night? Have or champagne. What are we going to have champagne. We're yeah. going to have... We're gonna, we're gonna have some party hats, cake. Uh, <laughs> party hats, man. We're gonna have uh, whatever those little blow whistle things are. I don't uh, know what those awesome. are. Yeah. Party favors. We gotta celebrate. And uh, I am supposed to say Nathan left me a little cheat uh, sheet here. Oh, by the way, he's at a movie premiere. The BFG, I think it is. He and Nathan Bartleball that hosts the uh, wonderful spinoff podcast, Pop Culture Ninja, are watching the BFG. Um, when I was a kid, I always heard the phrase BFD, but I think that's bad and something different. So we don't have to go into that. You don't know what I'm talking about. No, I don't know what that is. You look at you with your clo- BFD. Your cloistered, pampered <laughs> Christian upbringing. No, you can't. Oh, no, not later, at all, dude. man. It's just that I was like, uh, how, what am I, 20 years older than you? Yeah, so yep. whatever BFD is wasn't when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, you can figure that big something deal. Oh, oh, middle school kids, BFD, man. I see. So maybe it's just my filthy mind when I see. Yeah, the kids I was around just said it. They didn't initial it, so I don't know. (laughs) That's right. Why why abbreviate it when you say it? If you're going to go there. But yeah, the BFG, I think it's DreamWorks or Disney or something, and uh, they're they're enjoying that premiere tonight, and uh, Nathan left us in the driver's seat. Uh, But yeah, that 100th episode, Steve, we're going to be sending out in uh, this week. Uh, details every day on Twitter, Facebook, trying to promote it. Uh, and probably next week, Sunday, Monday, going into that live podcast, 4th of July. Yeah, live podcast. Uh, we're going to send out a number, a uh, live call-in number. So, Reverend James King, if you are out there, we would love There's to his see chance. if you have the guts, Mr. King, to talk to us live. I'm sure he does. Um I might rue the day I said that. You got me thinking now. I wonder if there are some people, some friends of mine, and I want to put them up to calling in yeah. and harassing you with yeah. some question or other. <laughs> hey, I, Being I, finicky, being difficult. I'm glad you say it. We would love it if, if listeners that hear this would say, hey, note to self, 9.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern time. Eastern, what is it? Eastern daylight time, right? Yes. Not EST, EDT. If they would call, I mean, it's going to be embarrassing, dude, if we have a, 
live phone that never rings. <laughs> so, well, we could sit here and call. We could. I'm, I'm going to have my mom use other call. voices. Yes, yeah, have your exactly. mother call. <laughs> yeah, what people use other voices? That's never been done. Um, <laughs> so that's all coming up next week. So this is episode 98. And uh, Steve, uh, you're a great guest for this topic tonight uh, because uh, your church is called Trinity, which makes you an expert. So I'm an expert on this on the Trinity because it's your church Look name. At that just like I'm an expert on Christ and fellowship <laughs> you're an expert on the trinity um which is a harder subject but um yeah steve we were talking last week this has kind of blown up uh in the last month or so uh i should say originally steve bruce ware dr ware who we had on a month or two ago from southern seminary was going to be on to do two parts with us one a follow-up on his view of uh, multiple intentions atonement which uh, is sort of classic four-point Calvinism. We had 18 questions that we've gotten from listeners. Dr. Ware is sick. He is under the weather. Um, So he was going to be here with us tonight. And we were going to also talk to him about this Trinity controversy uh, because it has erupted uh, on the interwebs uh, the last (laughs) month. Dr. Ware, we can pray for him. Uh, He's under the weather. He doesn't have a voice. So he's going to be back on with us sometime in August. Uh, to talk about probably this issue and the uh, Calvinism issue as well. Um, so, Steve, before we kind of uh, go into it, are you up on this Trinity debate that uh, if you're a Reformed Christian person, you're supposed to be an expert on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I am somewhat up on it. Yeah. Let me just say, uh, well, I, I'd like us to ask this question tonight. Maybe early on we should yeah. ask this question. Why does this matter? Ooh, I think good. a lot of our listeners will wonder, well, what's this? why does it matter? What's this have to do with me and yeah. you know, my Christian life and so on? So we ought to address that. Why has it become an issue? Who's interested? Yeah. Why are they interested in it? Yeah. Um, I'd like to spend some time there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with this. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, me, me too. I saw it on Twitter. I just saw people commenting on this EFS debate, and I thought, ah. I've seen enough uh, posts. I should probably look into it and see what it is. And I thought, I wonder what's going on. You know, what's going on here? But uh, I won't try to summarize it because our listeners are smart. They Many of them know they can easily go on to Google and just say EFS Trinity debate. And, man, you'll have a field day. Boom. Uh, it's all been in, like within the last three or four weeks, too. But one of the um, the key voices in it was Bruce Ware, hmm. Wayne Grudem. Anybody that knows them, they're very tied into the uh, biblical complementarianism stuff on gender roles and all that. So um, that's sort of the genesis of this. Uh, And then some other guys started weighing in. Um, Carl Truman was one of them. Forgive me for not knowing all the names of the cast here. But um, basically, this EFS controversy, the EFS stands for the Eternal Functional Subordination of the Trinity. Um, which is a way of saying that the Son of God, Jesus, even prior to his incarnation, has always been in functional subordination uh, to the Father. Which and, and and after his time on earth, he continues to be in functional subordination. Yes, very good argument. point. Yep, 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 very, very good point. So even post-incarnation all the way through endless eternity, he is in that functional subordination role. A couple of uh, uh, qualifiers there for listeners before we sort of pick this apart. Um, obviously, functional uh, is a key term because I think one of the things I want to say is regardless of what the um, uh, 
different, uh, what's the word, participants in the debate say about one another, I think you and I look at it and say, I'm, I'm not seeing anything heretical here. I'm not seeing anything that would jeopardize um, and, you know, uh, essential truth of the Bible. Yeah, this is not part of core doctrine, is it? No, although some people within the debate are <laughs> saying are. it. It's amazing what people have on their core doctrine <laughs> list sometimes, incredible. isn't it? incredible. How do you get along with anybody? I know, I know. And, and uh, I want to talk about that because I, I maintain that you could take something like music styles <clears throat> And find a way to argue it that it really is core. Oh, I can introduce you to people. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> I like, can. Yeah, for you, that's, oh, not, yeah. Um, that's not hypothetical. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that gets us into the next podcast, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, it certainly does. Yeah, there, there is the sense that to say the son is functionally subordinate is obviously a way of saying that he's not inferior. He's not a lesser god. He's not a, a junior deity among the three. Um he is functionally subordinate in that the way he relates to the father is like a son, uh, or the way the father relates to the son is in a position of some kind of functional authority. Um, I don't know. To me, I wouldn't be so um, uh, clued in to know why this has been such a, uh, a match in a powder keg, but it has been, and it appears that those who argue against it seem to think that the Trinity has been recast in such a way that you've got some major ontological problems. There's the fancy word, right, for essence or being. So you probably learned all this stuff, Steve. I remember in seminary and even even before learning that there is an ontological Trinity, which is a way of saying, I guess in one sense, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Equally God, yes, each member, eternally, uh, you know, forever and ever, and the economic or functional Trinity. Mm-hmm. I always liked economic because economic, it, yeah, yeah, it was like wow, mathematic and the economy of the Trinity, the the economy <laughs> of the Trinity, right? It, and we would say things. I've done this when I preach that you you never see a, a passage where the Son sends the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't die as a Galilean peasant on the, on the cross. That's the Son's role. Mm-hmm. Um, both sides in this debate say, oh, absolutely. There is a functional aspect of the Trinity where we understand roles, uh, etc. It seems to me what the Grudem Ware camp um, have presented that seems so controversial is that, yeah, those functions weren't just tied into the incarnation. And the redemptive work and time. Yes, but are endless distinctions in the yep. Trinity. They predate creation. Yes. They postdate the new heavens and the new earth. Right. Now, I'll ask you, Steve, how do you feel about that position in general? Uh, would, do, do you have a leaning one way or another? Yeah, I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really, uh, I would recommend readers just Google uh, Wayne Grudem on this subject. Yeah. And he's got a, like a 26-page article on the web that you'll very easily find. And I think he builds a massive and accurate case for the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father. Interesting. Uh, even such things like, I mean, there, you mentioned a few already, but there are many, many points he makes. One of them is, uh, you know, after Jesus accomplishes our salvation and he appears for 40 days and then he ascends to where? To the right hand of the Father. Right. The Father's not sitting on the right hand of the Son. The Son is sitting on the right hand of the Father, right. which is a chair of subordination to the yeah. one who's in the throne, right? Right. Um, so he just brings up so many scriptural arguments that take us out of time and out of redemptive work and into eternity, and we still see the son taking a position of sonship. Yes. Uh, so just for scriptural exegetical reasons, I'm all for that. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm not as interested in the implications of the whole thing. I think, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is all generating heat because it relates to the question of, uh, as you mentioned, are we complementarian or egalitarian in our view of the roles of men and women? Yeah, no doubt. And somehow the idea seems to be, maybe you can explain this accurately. I'm not sure I can explain it accurately. Uh, Somehow the eye seems to be, well... The idea seems to be if if God the Son is eternally subordinate to God the Father, then uh, subordination transcends just our fallen state. Yeah. Once we're redeemed, once we're in Christ, even once we're in the perfect state, there there may still be male female distinctions, and males are to be the leaders, and women are to be the followers, and so on and so forth. Yes. So the uh, the egalitarians would say, no, 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 we can't have that. Right. Uh, the the sonship submission to the Father, the son submission to the Father, was only temporary, only in the economy of the Trinity during redemptive times, and so on and so forth. And whereas the um, complementarians would say. No, no, we th- we think there's something eternal here. Is that why this is generating I, heat? It's why I, it's got legs. I think so, and I, I think um, just to put myself out there, Steve, I think I'm where you are. What a shocker! We agree. As, uh, <laughs> oh no, I, I almost want to almost want to adopt the other position just for the interest for fun uh, point. But um, with the the criticism of the non e the efs guys, whatever the term, I've heard some people say classical. Um, you know, the classical view, um, those guys, some of them, uh, seem to suggest, uh, that what's driving this whole train is an attempt to protect, uh, complementarianism uh, as it pertains to gender roles within the church, within the family, etc. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, yeah, does it really? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I you I, could have the God, the Father, God, the something going either way, and you could still have band-aided gender roles right. for men and women, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, in other words, definitely Grudem and Ware. I've, I've read a lot of their stuff in in, in the last week or so, and uh, they passionately say, "Hey, man, that's not driving the train." And this is where theological debate, Steve, gets interesting. I think we always have to be careful, right? And we all do it, not to uh, assign motive. Mm. Uh, to the person mm-hmm. that you just don't know. So you say, oh, I know why you're saying that because yeah, be all wrong. you're committed to complementarianism and therefore you need the Trinity to work a certain way to make your complementarianism mm. work. Um, I think they would say, yes, there are clear implications uh, of connection between uh, this ESF understanding, EFS, I can't get it right. Uh, I think I want to say ESL, uh, English as a Second Language Trinity. <laughs> I'm going to start a new conversation. Let's have a debate that. over that. Just that's convinced that, uh, I mean, we know Reverend King James would say English is the first language of the Trinity, <laughs> King James English. I don't know about the second. but um, The angels probably speak in English. Yeah, oh, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Good Elizabethan English. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there is the sense that uh, the classical guys are saying, hey, that's why they're doing this. But in in their fervor to protect complementarianism, which I think all these guys agree with uh, as a way of looking at gender roles, uh, they are going too far, they would say, in mm. forcing the Trinity to fit within a certain mold. Um, I haven't seen that. I, I think they're just interpreting scripture, man. Yeah. There is a lot of scripture that that they point to in their articles that it just looks like they're soundly opening up the text. Agreed. And, Agreed. And, yeah. and this issue of the Trinity has always been uh, interesting because um, I was saying to you earlier tonight, Steve, I'll, I'll broaden this a little bit and then we can, we can come back into some of these issues. I told you, I have a, I've often felt afraid 
it's it's almost like race relations. Everybody in our country today <laughs> is afraid to ever comment on race huh. because oh, am I going to say the wrong thing? Uh-huh. Wait a minute, can I use this term or is that considered pejorative or that? I find a similar dynamic at work in theological policing, word policing on the Trinity to the point that I have done a terrible job with my kids as they've grown answering questions on the Trinity because I'm so afraid. Oh, i got to be careful. I, I don't want to say something that's, um, you know, uh, Arianism. I don't want to say something that is modalism. modalism. But, you know, I, I don't want to slip into these roles. Admittedly, <laughs> every analogy on the Trinity cannot, by definition, work. Um, they just can't because there is no comparable experience in our worlds that can capture the Trinity, is there? I mean, because you've heard them all. Remember the three in one oil, three in one oil, the sun, the sunlight, and the power of the sunlight, an egg, um, the the forms of uh, water, right, with ice and steam and liquid, and you know, we all know. Wait, that's modalism. Wait, that's subordinationism. So, just caveats up front: no analogy can ever explain the Trinity, which is very difficult to teach on a subject when you can't give it an analogy with your seven year old. Daddy, what's the Trinity? Well, uh... Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Did Jesus pray to himself? No, because there there, there are distinct personalities. I just start drawing pictures at that point. (laughs) Which can get you in trouble, too. They break down. Um, So, you know, there is this kind of fear in talking about the Trinity, because I do think the the fathers, I, I think, Steve, we're in total agreement with that, got it right. Um, you know, I think those early creeds, Nicene Creed in particular, extremely, extremely helpful, extremely important in not inventing a doctrine, but clarifying what is in Scripture. Yes, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, fully God, distinct persons, yet not three gods, but one. We, we get that grilled into our minds. I think it is important. I think there are implications. But um, there is often a fear in addressing the subject of the Trinity because, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to slip into this. And I kind of feel for Grudem where these guys to say they see an eternal functional uh, role within the, particularly the relationship between the father and the son. I I don't know. I'm made, I'm going to be honest. I'm uncomfortable at these guys being critiqued for that because Mm -hmm. none of these guys are oneness uh, guys like mm-hmm. uh, the oneness Pentecostalism that's been a more recent issue that only Jesus is God uh, the, the Father and the Spirit are just uh, modes of his expression I think that's a pretty significant problem um, I think it, it can lead to some very confused um, uh, theology proper, Christology no doubt and soteriology as a result but this stuff uh almost feels like the angels on the head of a pin, how many of them can fit or dance on the head of a pin. And we were talking earlier tonight, remember about the, am I pronouncing it right? The filioque clause. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Which, which I looked at. Seminary up, stuff, right? You had to know it for a test. Had to know it for a test. And the filioque is Latin for end the sun. So apparently this issue, which split the Eastern Western churches, basically Roman Catholicism and other forms of Eastern Orthodoxy in 1054 was over this burning question. Isn't this a burning issue in your people's lives? Oh, I lie awake at night over this. <laughs> did, did the Holy Spirit <clears throat> proceed? Does he proceed from the Father uh, through the Son 
or just the father, or the father and the son. So filioque means and the son. Um, and I don't know. People write volumes on this stuff, and I, I just am asking the question. I, I think some people need a better purpose in life. Man. Yeah. Just go to the gym and work out I instead. <laughs> I was telling my wife about this, this yeah. subject tonight, and, and she basically said, what they're fighting over what you know like what does this have to do with me and my struggle against sin and trying to help raise my grandchildren and right everything else right yeah there's a real um esoteric quality to this debate that i i feel steve at some point you get into does anybody really think that you're going to settle the matter sufficiently because we're Mm. into um a metaphysical reality when we deal with the Trinity that we, we all acknowledge right from the start. Our big caveat, as we said, is this is a mystery we'll never fully understand, um, particularly the side of heaven. I don't know, maybe even on the other side of heaven. I don't know. Um, how do pea brains like ours take in the, uh, the paradoxical truth that there are three persons but only one God? Um, so we acknowledge that from the get-go, and we're going to write volumes and volumes and volumes of literature and, and sometimes throw the heresy card down, which has been done in this debate, unfortunately, by some. Um, and I, I just find the thing a bit frustrating. Yeah, so I want to go in a different direction for a moment, yeah. and if you'd prefer not to go there, because yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot with it. Take so it, if you'd prefer not to go there, I just, love being on just the spot. You know, say so. Um, so you mentioned modalism, yeah. which is – define that for us. What's, what's modalism? Let the hearers know what that is. Modalism is um, basically the belief that there's one God, probably we would say the Father, and at times he appears in different modes. That's the root word, right? So you've got not three eternally existent persons as members of what we would say, call the Godhead, right? Um, of one substance, uh, as it were, and and you get into all of those fancy terms like uh, hypostatic union and and such. But you've got the uh, one God uh, who at times appears in different modes. So when he appears as Jesus, he is not somewhere else the Father at that moment. Right. When he appears as the Holy Spirit, he is not somewhere else Jesus yes. at that moment. So the reason I was asking you to clarify that is to ask you this question yeah. now. <laughs> Uh-oh. Lay it on me, brother. So what do you think about T.D. Jakes? Is he a bodalist? Oh, wow, dude. Did you watch the, the Elephant Room debates, and you saw the one with Jake's there, yep, and you heard and, some of the controversy uh, that that generated? And yeah, Driscoll was in that, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, I remember that. James was, McDonald was part of that. Yeah. Man, I'm a little rusty, dude. I remember watching it. It was like four years ago, five years ago, maybe, even a little yeah. longer. Um, I've never... Uh, you know what? There was a period where I would say, oh, yeah, yeah I've researched T.D. Jakes, which meant I read like one blogger and said <laughs> T.D. Jakes said this. I would love, if I really want to do this, to sit down with him and ask him, hey, can you lay out your understanding of the nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Just, just tell, We don't even have to use the technical terms. Tell me who is God. Are Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, uh Equally God, you know, ask him those questions, see what he says. I have been told by many that he is a modalist, uh, is a Jesus-only Pentecostal, uh, historically. If that's the that case. That is his background. Yeah. 
So, um, but I, I think on those elephant room talks, yeah. at least in the talks, or if not after the talks, like with James McDonald or somebody, McDonald was saying, "No, the guy's good. Yeah, he's good. You know, like he affirms the Trinity." Uh, but then, you know, the blogosphere blew up with T.D. Jakes does not. He's, right. he's a modalist. And he's a bad guy. Uh, the whole thing really troubled me because yeah. I think, you know, maybe uh, T.D. Jakes seemed to me to be a Trinitarian, yeah. but who comes at it from a different angle or uses different terminology. Yeah. And so he was like scorned because of that. If you don't use the historic Trinitarian terminology, you're a bad guy. It's existed for 2,000 years now, that terminology. Right. Why not use it? It's historical. It's proven and so on and so forth. Well, I'm, I don't want to fault a guy yeah. for a word. Yeah, right, right. There's That's just way too good. much of that. That's a good point, Steve. You've kind of reignited my interest. I'd like to go back and look at that. I um I remember because a lot of people were mad at those guys, right? For, oh, they were for not nailing TD Jakes and for even having him on. Why would you right. have him on? He's a heretic, right? And I think McDonald wanted him on to say, "Hey, look, guys, really, he's all right." Yeah, yeah. Then McDonald got in trouble for that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because he's not on like Gospel Coalition anymore. No, right? yeah, right. I think it started going south. Yeah, back then. Interesting, interesting. And I, because I, I know somebody we had on, I can't remember who. I really don't on this podcast that we've had a lot of gospel coalition guys or connected guys uh, that wanted my, my sense is they wanted to suggest that that wasn't a sanctioned gospel coalition thing. It was gospel uh-huh. coalition guys, guys on their own, kind of doing their own doing thing. That. Cause it, it was huh. such a, uh, a hot potato. It's interesting, Steve, that you're um, in, in bringing up that point because the, the word policing thing, you know, we, we you weren't on this podcast. We had Les Lanfear, a great dude, who uh, he and uh, Tanner run the uh, the Reformed Pubcast, of which our uh, you know, our little podcast here is part of that network, and we're honored to be a part of it. They're good guys. Um, I notice when I go on that uh, the website, which a lot of our listeners are on regularly, um, the word Reformed is a uh, is a for some people, a sacred term to be guarded and protected like the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, cause I, I, uh, and listeners forgive me for this. I'll say it quickly. I made a meme of John Piper back at Wheaton college when he looked like a total nerd, 98 pound weakling, <laughs> uh, looked like Marty McFly, you know, uh, or I should say George McFly in his <laughs> 1955 self. And I thought I'd have fun with it. So I put a little meme in there that said, yeah, I may be a nerd now. But one day I will be the rock star of reformed evangelicalism. You know, it's a joke. Dude, a couple of ha-has, funny. 10, 12 guys that are taking issue with the word reformed because, oh, Piper's not reformed. Um, because he's Baptistic and, uh, you know, he's a credo guy, not a pedo guy. Or his understanding of the covenant is more progressively dispensational than. Give me a break, dude. Yeah. We can't even use the term in a colloquial way that everybody knows what we're saying and captured. But there are guys that feel that's their mantle. I had a guy at our church tell me, you can't really be reformed because you're Baptistic. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. had that, too. Yeah. I've had that, You've too. You've had that, too? Well, hey, back yeah. to Back to Piper yeah. being skinny. Um, <laughs> I, I, did you see this thing? It was a couple of years ago. Piper and Mark Driscoll and some other people were all on, on some video together, and they're interviewing each other. And Driscoll, he likes to joke, right? Yeah. And he's a pretty sturdy boy. Sure. 
Um, he's not tall, but he's a sturdy dude. So he says to Piper, "Hey man, how much do you bench press?" And he's like, he's making fun of Piper, right? right. Like you don't bench press it. And and Piper says, "I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know," which is all right. I mean, lots of people don't yeah, know how sure, much they bench sure. press, right? But he was really poking at him for That's being so, so skinny, funny, man. And, and nerdy. Yeah, Piper is skinny. I I saw him in person one time. And I thought, man, that dude is uh, a little wiry guy. He's a little like, wiry. He could be dude. in the Tour de France. I, he could be, man. He is, and he is. Uh, yeah, he's a small guy because uh, his voice, booming voice. If you yeah, just knew him voice. by uh, by audio, you would you, you might get a different take on the guy. Yeah, um, interesting. Um, yeah, where were we? Trinity. Yeah, I've been made an offender for a word way too many times, so I'm touchy about it. Yeah, this goes into our next podcast too, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I'm it sensitive does. about that. Let's treat people fairly. I agree. Instead of just getting all fired up because the guy said he is reformed, or I, you know what? Yeah, I don't like. We're off topic. I don't care. That's cool. I don't like to claim the title reformed anymore. Yeah. I yeah. prefer to tell people. They say, "Are you reformed?" I say, "Well, I'm reformish." Right. Right. And then they look at you and I say, see that? Now I get to define what I mean by it. Ah, I like it. Because if I say I'm reformed, then you say, oh, then you're like that guy over there. Actually, I really don't want to be associated with that guy over there. Right, um, right. So, I, so I, true, dude. Yeah. I, so I, true. I kind of avoid the title. Yeah. I'll try to throw out the term hybrid sometime for the same reason. I'm kind of high. I'm a hybrid on that issue. Oh, what do you mean? Well, you know how you've got a hybrid car. It's a little electricity, a little gas. I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot of gas and a little, a little electricity. But um, you're right because then you get to define it. Yeah, I get to define because, it. I want that. Uh, absolutely. And, and it's like this everywhere. There are terms that people use and they become passionate, like they're defending the honor of God's glory or something by defending this term. Look, obviously, uh, the Trinity, you are dealing with the nature of God. It's theology proper, you know, as as uh, as the technicians would call it. But um, – to me, I don't know, you can look at a guy writing in this EFS stream and saying, yeah, they're, I mean, first paragraph, second paragraph, to me it's very historic. Uh, it's very, you know, tri-unity, one God, three persons. They lay all that stuff out. And then they say, now let, let's talk about the nature of the relationship between the Father and Son. And I will say, Steve, that I think this is an area um, that many um, – Staunch Calvinist, many to use it in the Reformed tradition. Uh, I don't know. Don't always do as well on. I'll start safer and then get a little, um, a little more into choppy waters. Um, Dave Shive, our mutual friend, who is not a Calvinist, not a Reformed guy, whatever term you would use, he'd say, "Yeah, I'm not that." <laughs> uh, and we've had him on to talk about that in the past. I have tremendous, tremendous respect for. You mean you would actually have a non-Reformed guy on your podcast? I can't believe it. Uh, our only problem with Dave is that he leaks stuff to uh, James King. <laughs> I, I, don't, yeah, I don't care about the other stuff. I care about the leaks. Yeah. But actually, I'm so glad you do. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. Makes it have a non-Reformed guy on your podcast. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on, yeah, absolutely. And so we, um, we've talked about this before. Uh, there is often an aversion um, among reform types to the humanity of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever felt that. And exploring some of the vulnerable hmm. um, sort of uh, human limitation aspects of Jesus uh, that I sense sometimes. I mean, I don't know if Luther wrote Away uh, a in a Manger. Uh, he is alleged to have written it. Somebody in that tradition wrote it, and you get the ridiculous line, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, because I think it reveals <laughs> some, some uncomfortableness 
<laughs> with oh, uh, uh, pooping crying. Yeah, I, was just, I was about to say. Yeah, you know. <laughs> just apply to pooping. And, you know, yeah. colicky Jesus. Uh-huh. There's no room for that. And it's, yeah. there should be ample room for Did that. Did he ever spit up? Absolutely. And yeah. all the debates, did Jesus ever have a cold? Did he? Um, you know, in other words, if you want to see people get uncomfortable, talk about the humanity of Jesus in very real, raw terms. So Dave kind of is the first person to kind of uh, uh, put that thought in my mind um, among reform types. Uh, and I not across the board. I have noticed it. So I've always tried to intentionally almost work against my own inclination and deal with the humanity of Jesus. For instance, I, I think it comes up at the temptation, uh, Matthew 4, Luke 4. Um, it's almost like uh, we just sometimes want to rush to say, yeah, I mean, he was tempted, but he was God, so it wasn't really much of anything. You know, it's sort of like a Boy Scout with a pea shooter taking on a tank. The um, subject of the impeccability of Christ. Exactly. Could he have sinned? Could he have sinned? And people are like, well, if he's God, he, he couldn't. He didn't really feel the temptation. He couldn't have sinned. Yes, yes. And I think sometimes, again, we let our theological categories just diminish somewhat the, the tension of a text. The, the pathos of a text. And, and I'm just, I feel like scripture is just never as cooperative mm, with our neat and tidy categories as uh, mm. the kind of rough, messy tone you get. All I know is I read that passage and man, there's a lot going on there. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's, he's ravenously hungry. It's been 40 days. He's weak. He's so weak. That's my favorite. Uh, a uh, little detail there, Steve. And hmm. who is it, Luke or Matthew, that tells us? I think it's Luke that an angel came and strengthened him. Uh, yes, which I think, it, of course, it happens in the garden as well. So you've got him so weak, so anemic, so depleted of reason. I mean, that's a raw picture. So I'm starting here that I think sometimes we get uncomfortable talking about Jesus' humanity. Hmm. And uh, we're afraid that we might be giving away the, the, the deity side too much. That I wonder, does some of that, I'm just speculating, trickle into this other issue when we deal with Jesus? Hey, hey, wait a minute. It's one thing to talk about him in his humanity. But when we deal with him in his deity, we what? We are uncomfortable at the fact that he might be eternally subordinate. Hmm. And then we get into hmm. these these terms. That's interesting. Like, um, in other words, to be fair, the the classic view, as I've been reading, uh, is is basically positing. Uh, well, then you've got two wills. Um, mm-hmm. You've got two wills in the Trinity. And again, see, I always maintain. Can I say this and not be heretical? All right, why has that got to be thrown out there right away? Like, I'm terrified of that. Yeah, why is that a problem even? Right. Yeah. That was the first thing I thought, like, it's almost like the, the, the Trump card. Well, then you got two wills in the Trinity. I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. Can you show me the verse that says that can't happen, first of all? In other words, I know you're going to give me theological, uh, you know, well-articulated arguments. Um, but again, these things get thrown out there very quickly, and they're almost uh, bad boy cards. And then, But then there's scripture on this two wills thing where, uh, for example... Jesus says, I've come down not to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Right. All right, that kind of sounds like two wills, doesn't right. it? Yeah. Or, or Jesus praying in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, right. but thine be done. Right. Yeah, that sounds like, okay, There's Jesus is conscious. He is not the Father. He has a will. The Father has a will. It might be a different will. Right. And he's submitting himself to the Father's will. Yeah. yeah I'm glad you mentioned that, Steve. 
there's no easy way out of that one, the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. Because uh, initially, I think the, the classical side, the non-EFS side, would say, well, of course, there's, there's, uh, there's the human will of Jesus mm. in his humanity, and there's the divine will. What, what's interesting about it, though, is we would typically say, right, that in his humanity, he was completely uh, united with the will of the Father for which he came. John 8.29, right? I, I think it's 8.29. That's I, You say it's my favorite verse, and I hope I have the reference right. <laughs> um, when Jesus says, I always do the mm, things that are pleasing that to him. I just... Mm. Uh, profound verse so you've got jesus and we would say right that's his humanity right he's saying in my humanness my delight is to do the will of the father so already going into the garden you've got some complexity there at some level however you slice it whether you've got because do we want to say is the human will of jesus to not do what his father's calling him to do is that what's going on there? Hmm. Or are we saying he's in touch with his emotions? Hmm. I, I want to do the will essentially, which is to save humanity, but the means or the method, is there another way? Uh, again, we can guess and speculate. I actually don't think it's it's clearly stated. Um, so when you tie in this, this notion of could there be, I'll just say this, is there a way the son could have <laughs> two wills? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, wasn't it Augustine when he wrote on the Trinity? I think it was him who said he there was a, a, he had a dream of a little kid that was like taking a thimble or a small cup and he would go to the ocean and, and he would put it in the ocean and he would pour out the water on the sand. And Augustine says, little boy, what are you doing? And um, he said uh, something like, um, oh, I'm emptying the ocean onto the sand. And Augustine said, well, that's ridiculous. And I think if I have this right, the boy said something like, no more crazy than you writing on the Trinity. (laughs) Um, Yeah, one of those great little preaching analogies that we would tell that I I just, I'm almost uncomfortable saying what the will of the Trinity is Mm. and how it works in the ontological Trinity. Track Mm. with me on that. Like we almost speak with cleric or uh, not, what's the word, empirical precision about a being we're saying we can't fully understand. Yeah. See, that's one of the problems with this whole thing, and, and that takes me back to the T.D. Jake's problem. Yeah. Um, McDonald was saying that, uh, you know, prior to some of the great church councils, what what did Christians believe about the Trinity? Yeah. And actually, they didn't have a, a, a formulation like we have yet. They didn't right. hadn't figured out, well, uh, here you see the Father, and he's God, and here you see the Son, and he's God, and here you see the Spirit, and he's God, and the Son is conscious of the Father and speaks to the Father, and the Father speaks to the Son, but yet the Bible says there's one God, there's not three gods, and how do we put this together? And it took 300 years for the church to figure out, yeah. this is important, we need to clarify this, here's how we clarify it. What if I meet someone today who speaks like Christians did in A.D. 200? Yeah. Do I anathematize him because he he doesn't have the right formulation and you know the precise words and so on? Yeah. A lot of people tend to do that, and yeah. that really bothers me. Yeah. Um, even on the issue you were talking about earlier, uh, Jesus's humanity and his deity. You know, how do we explain that? I don't know. How do we explain that? Yeah. But I like this little part of the formulation. He was as much. Uh, man as if he was not God, and he was as much God as if he was not man, yeah. right? Fully man, fully God. Yeah. So the fully man part means uh, yeah, he did cry. Yeah, You're not fully man if he didn't cry when you were a right. baby, right? right. Yeah. It means a whole lot of things. He's yeah. fully man and yet fully God. Um, did he have separate wills? I don't know. I know. 
You know, would, would the Apostle Paul say, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I'm busy planting churches out here, man. What? what? And, and there's the bigger issue, Steve, isn't it? Is we, we run into that all the time in our conversations on this podcast and just day to day. I love theology. I know you do, too. It's helpful. I love reading it. I love studying it. It stretches fun. my mind. It's fun. You can categorize. You can subcategorize. You can merge. You can deviate and say, well, I take issue with this one point of this guy's argument. Uh, yet you, you do wonder if the Apostle Paul were sitting in the room with you. What, what are you? Talking about mm-hmm. you? What did you do with that verse that I wrote? Because I was talking about evangelism. I was talking about this, and we 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 can really do the angels on the head of a pin thing. That uh, I sometimes wonder: Are we uh, have we lost something? Uh, and I'm not going the other way. I'm trying not to. Uh, where theology doesn't matter. You know, it's all about just your relationship with Jesus. And um, you know, I, I saw in one of the Babylon bees. Uh, one of their headlines a month or so ago it was a great headline. It said something like, "Man armed only with his personal relationship with Jesus invent, <laughs> invent several new heresies," uh, which I got a kick out of, you know, because it's like all I all I know is me and Jesus hang out, and yeah, that can be the seedbed of all sorts of problems, yeah. goofy ideas that come out. So obviously, there's a balance here, but we can get so far up that ivory tower that sometimes I'm like. Man, dude, the whole conversation you're having, nobody hears you. I think a classic example of that in recent church history is an argument that was uh, uh, that occurred between um, Cornelius Van Til, who was a you know just a brilliant, brilliant theologian sure. and apologist. He was at Westminster Seminary at that time, and um, uh, Gordon Clark. Does that name yeah. ring a bell? Sure. And here's what their disagreement was over. Uh, to what extent does our knowledge approximate God's knowledge? Yeah. And one of them believed that you know our knowledge never in any sense approximates God's knowledge. And the other one believed, no, when we know something, we can know it truly just as God knows it truly. Right. And, and our knowledge does approximate God's yeah. knowledge. And, and it's like in the book of Acts with Paul and Barnabas, the contention became so sharp. Yeah. Uh, over that, over that, I, I and know. and uh, you know these are these are guys. You know they weren't sixteen. They weren't young testosterone laden hotheads yeah. or something. They they were mature men, but the whole thing just got all epically out of proportion and so on. Yeah. So Francis Schaeffer was around in those days and witnessed some of that, yeah. and decided he wanted nothing to do with it. And he went out championing unity among Christians and peace yeah. as we hold together on the core doctrines of the faith. And I love that, you know, that was Schaefer's response to that whole kind of controversy thing. Uh, absolutely. Some people are too smart for their own good. I, yeah. I've never been in danger of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too, brother. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that's it, Steve. If you're not smart enough to get to a place of danger, maybe that's ideal. You know? yeah. So I say, I don't want to learn anything because then I'll, I'll be in trouble. Um, yeah. And actually, I, I think that's one of the reasons, Steve, we both, like frame, yes. Uh, not just the two of us. So many yes. people do. Frame refers to that controversy I just mentioned. Yes, yeah. yes. I think didn't we pick his brain on that a little in the first podcast? We, did. we had him on. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Frame, I mean, just brilliant thinker. I mean, as he he proves the cliche, uh, he's already forgotten more truth than we've ever learned. Uh, he's just a brilliant man. But really, even in his his brilliance. Um, and can write some very heady things. There is a practicality to his writing that is and very a humility appealing. and a grace. Yes, 
I yes. love it. And he seems to have an, um, an aversion to too much conjecture. Yes. Yes. I've, yeah, I've asked him questions. You have too. Because there's a lot of conjecture goes on, isn't there? It. He just and doesn't then we fight like to over go there. our conjectured position. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's he's fair to his opponents. Yes. I really value and esteem him for that. I do too. Uh, you represent them fairly. State their argument in a way that they would recognize and agree with. Yes. And say yes, you got me right. And be fair to them. You know, here's why they might think that. I can see that. I can understand. Yep. That. He does that kind of thing all the time. And it's amazing, Steve. I know you've had uh, this happen in, in a marriage counseling setting uh, in some way. I've had this happen where I've had a couple. That as by the time they've they've come to me, they're at such a danger point. Sometimes too far gone, it's beyond, um, and they've lost trust with each other. The mm. affection is all dried up. Very very painful. And one of the things that I've seen happen in a one hour long session with a couple is it's comical if it weren't so tragic. Just the the dynamic of trying to get one statement. <laughs> that both would agree, okay, I know what you're saying, and I agree with the way you're hearing it. Yes. I've had it where I'll say, uh, you know, I'll start with the, the woman, and I'll say, you know, Mary, uh, could, could you tell him just what you're experiencing today uh, in light of everything that's happened? And she'll say, well, yada, yada, and she'll put it out there. And then I will ask the guy, hey, what did um, what did she just say? What did you hear and he'll say it, and I'll say, Mary, is it? No. No, completely said, different. And what the, the entire session, and I said, look, let's celebrate. We've spent 55 minutes here tonight, and that one statement we started with, I think you're both saying. <laughs> we you, finally got we there. We got huh? there. The problem is, oh. at that point, there's a 1,001 of those yes. that have to be disentangled. And some of them are big. And really big. So you're right, Steve. I think in theological discourse, it's very important that we really – Say, do can I articulate my opponent's position in a way that he would say is fair? Yes. Uh, good book uh, John Stott did in '86. It's one of the first kind of heavy things I've read with uh, David Edwards. I think was a guy who was a liberal theologian. Stott got in trouble with that book, if you remember, because he hmm. he threw out some ideas on hell that were leaning annihilationism, yes. and it caused him a, a, a great trouble. Uh, go back and look at that book sometime, dude. It's a beautiful model of charity because you've got mm. david edwards who is a uh, kind of a mainline british uh, uh denominational liberal guy who doesn't believe in the historicity of the bible the truthfulness of the scripture inspiration these things and stott who clearly does but um i remember reading it and thought wow man the charity of stott mm. to make sure that he was understanding. It's sort of a back-and-forth, point-counterpoint dialogue. I love that. Fantastic. And that really left an impression on me that I thought, I'm not always going to do it well. Maybe I've not done it well tonight. Uh, as I'm thinking back, maybe I'm not being fair to the position that I'm not as inclined to agree with on this Trinity issue. But I'm more concerned, and I know you are, Steve, with a, a tone. Because uh, the world is watching. Other Christians are watching. And um, I think that, that has to factor in. You know, it's funny. This is way off topic, but it's related. Um, sometimes my wife and I, and we are very different creatures. Yeah. And, and I'm glad. I don't want to be married to someone who's me. Yes. Right? She's totally different from me. Her brain works differently than mine. Yeah. Um, she approaches issues differently than I do. And sometimes when we're differing over a thing, oh, you mean you two have actually differed? Oh, yeah. yeah. 41 years. We just celebrated our 41st last week. Yeah. Went out to a nice dinner, spent Congrats, too much money, yeah. ate too much food. Yeah. That's how we celebrate anniversaries. <laughs> yes. right? So, uh, but we have times when we, we really differ on a topic, and we figured out that um, 
in, in those times when it's getting difficult, we really have a hard time understanding each other. Yeah. And we've started doing this thing that, what is it called? Is this called reactive listening? What kind of listening is this? Where uh, they say it, and then you state it back to them. Yeah. And see if you've been able to say what they said in a way that they'll agree with. And, man, it's challenging yes. sometimes. Yes. So if we can bring that into the, the theological world and the Christian world and be patient with each other and let them state their case, and then we, we restate it, is this what you mean, is this what you said, rather than create a caricature of them right. and then throw Bible verses at it, yeah, the church would get along a little bit Man. better. Oh, Steve, I love what you laid out there, dude. See, in, in my house, Lisa and I, the way it tends to work is, you know, again, the I feel statements become so important because it would go like, Greg, you're an insensitive jerk. And it's, uh, let me rephrase that, Greg. I feel <laughs> <laughs> like you're an insensitive jerk, and then you know. But you know what? All jokes aside, isn't that helpful? Just to get to the point that you, you really can never argue against the way somebody feels. Yes, you have to accept how they accept feel. It. It's like, look, I, it. I'm not asking how they got there, whether they took the right path or the wrong path. You have to start with the, this person feels rejected, alienated, angry. Uh, unheard, wh- wh- whatever it is. And it's like, so let's deal with that first. And you can ask those kind of common diagnostic questions. Do you want your wife to feel angry? Do, do, do you think any benefits coming to you or her in this? Do you want your wife to feel unheard? Um, you know, because normally what the guy does, I think, uh, more than, than anybody is to say, yeah, but she shouldn't feel like that. And uh, I remember Lisa in our earlier years, I'm hearing this less, which I think is a sign of growth, which is say, oh, yeah, I forgot. Lawyer Greg, there's no uh, there's no winning with you. You know, did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Lawyer Greg. Lawyer Greg. Uh You know, know, or, you know, attorney at law, Greg Dutcher. Uh Um, You always win. I can't argue with you. I can't win an argument with you. Right. Can't win an argument. You know, it's bad when a wife says that to her husband, right? Yeah, I know. It is bad. I mean, it's bad on the husband. The husband needs some work. Yes. When the wife's saying that. Yes. And uh, that was said many, many times. And uh, I'd love to tell you, I've fully conquered it. I'm a a recovering lawyer. Um, But I think I'm on the right road. I'll say that much. That's good. Um well, I don't know how much we satisfied people's curiosity on this topic. We we kind of just wanted to banter around with it a little bit, but uh, enjoyed it, Steve. Um, and uh, I'm curious to see what comes of it. When we have Bruce Ware back on in August, um, we'll see where the controversy stands and um, love to get his take. Yes. On, um, you know, we'll uh, get maybe. A, a world-class scholar to chime in yes. on Yes. And then our listeners say, finally, I learned something. Yeah, now I understand it. Um Anyway, Steve, that was great. Uh, a little shorter tonight, but uh, Steve, we just rocked the cast. Awesome. These go to 11.